previously on Wayne's Iron Maiden podcast. Eventually, the shop door opened and Yannick skipped out with a large shopping bag. What's in the bag? asked Bruce. Something amazing, said Yannick. Well, show us then, said Adrian angrily. I can't, said Yannick. It will be a surprise. Anyway, this boy was called Mahmoud Khan and his surname was spelt the same as this title, this, this song, Genghis Khan. So I invented the nickname Genghis for him. Eventually, people started calling him the Penguin because his mum used to put a penguin biscuit in his packed lunch every day. As he got closer to home, he passed the new shop. The lights were on and the sign said, Open. This was strange. It was 10.30 at night. What was it doing open so late? He got off his bicycle and decided to investigate. Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast. On these shows, I look at the songs of Iron Maiden and how they influenced me growing up listening to them as a boy in 1980s Birmingham. Obviously, it isn't the 1980s now, and I'm listening to them as a man and seeing if I've changed my opinion. This week, I'm looking at the song Alexander the Great, which is track 8 on the Somewhere in Time album. Last week, I looked at the song Deja Vu and had some feedback on the show. You may remember that Dave Murray wrote the song Deja Vu because he was annoyed that there was no letter J in any of the song titles to date. However, Mr Anagram's been back in touch and he doesn't believe this. He says that Dave Murray wrote this song because you can make the word Dave out of deja vu. You can rearrange letters to make Dave. Oh, this is nonsense. If this is the case, why didn't Dave Moy write Invaders? Recently, it's come to my attention that Facebook has got some sort of new view, so I can't see my page very well. So I had some messages that were sent quite a long time ago, and I do apologise for not answering them until now. I had a message from George Steele, who says that, can we go for a drink with him and his friend John? This is nice, isn't it? Someone wants to go for a drink. Although I don't know if they want me to go for a drink. Or Trevor. They don't make this clear. Um, I told my mum about it. And, and she reminded me about the dangers of talking to strangers online. So uh, maybe I will go for a drink with George Steele. Um, but uh, we'll see how that goes. I also had a message from Guy who uh, said that there is a Toffee Crisp Easter egg. But sadly that's, that's too late now. We've missed it. So you can be assured that heads will roll in the social media team. I had a message from Corky who uh, mentioned that I said that Deja Vu maybe wasn't played live because it's short. And he says, well, there have been shorter songs played live than Deja Vu, The Trooper, Evil That Men Do, The Wrath Child. This is obviously factually correct. And maybe what I should have said was, maybe it wasn't picked to play live from the album because it's the shortest song on the album. I think I meant it like that, rather than it's a short song overall. Because, yeah, obviously you're right, they have played shorter songs than this. Um, But I think maybe when they wrote down all the songs from somewhere in time and said, what should we play live? Maybe that was an easy one to consider dropping. But, yeah, it's good. Good feedback, and uh, maybe I should be more clear in future. Anyway, this week we're looking at Alexander the Great, which is the final song on the album. It's an epic song about a man who lived an epic life. And he was so epic, he was called The Great. The Great wasn't his surname. It's like a nickname. And this is a good nickname to have. 
It wasn't named after a biscuit, like Mahmoud the Penguin Khan or Viscount Wayne. He was named this because he was great. He was invincible, and actually, things were named after him, like Alexandria, the city in Egypt, and the library there gave the name of Alexa, that funny speaker thing from Amazon. So his influence is felt today. The song basically summarises his life and some of his achievements, and I'll look at the lyrics later. The song's got brackets after the title, and this is the first time we've seen this since Lost for Words, and these brackets contain the sort of period of time between 356 and 323 BC, and this is the time that he was alive. These brackets don't appear on the back sleeve of the album, but they're inside with the lyrics, so... I don't know if it's correct to include them or not. Maybe I won't include them in the podcast episode title. The song opens with a dramatic instrumental. It's got this grand sound, like a picked guitar, subtle bass, and a bit of a synth sound. It's slightly military in feel, as you'd expect. Um, you've got Nico's drum rolls. They're quite subtle at the moment, at this stage. The rolls that you get eventually are very similar to the sort of rhythm in Ravel's Bolero. This is a piece of classical music, and you might be thinking, what's happened to Wayne? How does he know this? Well, it's actually a very well-known piece. Uh, You'll know it. Here it is. This music was famously used in the Olympics for the Great Britain ice skating performance of Torville and Dean. I wondered what it would be like to put this opening sequence of Alexander the Great to that choreography that Torville and Dean did on ice back in the 1980s. And I've done this online. You can find it on Twitter. And maybe I'll put it in some other places like Ko-Fi. So yeah, it it goes quite well. I'm quite pleased with it. It's a great opening. Uh, I said grand and military in my uh, description. And that's what Alexander the Great is known for. The person. Military tactics and victories. And there's a lot to his story. And you can't really do it justice in a song just over eight minutes long. We've already had a song about Genghis Khan, who was also known for his military leadership and taking over new lands. It's hard to know about Genghis Khan from that song, though, because it's instrumental. But here, we've got lyrics. With these titles, I wonder why Steve Harris was so fascinated with such characters or themes. Let's have a look. I mentioned the opening of the song, but before that, it actually opens with a quote... My son, ask for thyself another kingdom, for that which I leave is too small for thee. That isn't an actual recording of the incident from around 343 BC, because I didn't have recording equipment then. You'll have noticed in the background, there was like a wind sound. I wonder if that was an effect on a, on a synth, because I only could get wind on the Yamaha Porter sound back in the 1990s. Um, if they didn't have access to that, It could have been Bruce blowing into the microphone. It's a bit like the wind we heard in the introduction to Tamer Land, isn't it? Anyway, I was talking about why Steve Harris was so fascinated with the the character and and looking at links. 
So this was a quote from Alexander's father, King Philip, who said this when Alexander showed greatness in taming a horse in his teenage years. This quote suggests that Alexander has potential to do things above expectation and he should have ambitions to match this. And Steve Harris was the same. There's no records of him taming a horse, but he had a burning ambition, of course, as we saw in the first song that he wrote. Similarly, there's also a myth around the origins as well. Alexander's birth has this myth of lightning and links to Greek gods. The origin of Iron Maiden suggests that they were formed on Christmas Day. This is a fact that's often argued. I don't think you've got time to form a band on Christmas Day unless you get rubbish presents. You might say that Steve Harris respected the military precision and how to run a unit and he adopted this with Iron Maiden. Alexander the Great's desire to extend the empire and continue even when he could have settled is similar to how Steve Harris wanted Iron Maiden to grow and extend their reach around the world. He could have been happy with what he got, but he carried on. While Alexander the Great went into Persia, away from his Greek base, he managed to run things there from afar, so his business and administrative skills are also something to admire, as well as his military skills. Similarly, Steve Harris was often away from the UK on world tours, yet he had Keith Wilfort running the fan club. So there's a lot of similarities. And after what Trevor said last week about past lives, was Steve Harris Alexander the Great in a past life? I'm not sure there's enough evidence here, but let's see if there's any more clues in the lyrics. I've criticised Steve Harris' lyrics before for seeming a bit textbook. And of course, if you tell the story of someone, like from history, it might have that tone. Um, I said earlier, you can't really fit such a detailed life into a song, so it might not be perfect or as detailed as you might like. Straight away though, I'm annoyed because in the first line it says near to the east and and this is silly, what does that mean? It's a bit vague to me. If I gave someone directions like this, I'd expect a disgruntled response. Can you tell me where Stitcher Swimming Baths is? Yeah, just head to the near of the east of Birmingham. Looking at that section in full, it says near to the east in a part of ancient Greece in an ancient land called Macedonia. And Macedonia was actually in the northern part of Greece. So I don't know if he's used east to rhyme with Greece. It's a bit lazy. Maybe Steve Harris thinks that the north is near enough to the east. Yeah, it's a bit bit vague, isn't it? In the time of Alexander's birth, the Macedons were seen as savages, a bit like the Vikings. So I was surprised that he didn't use the term many Macedon fighting men in the lyric in this song. That would have been quite a nice reference, even if it would have annoyed me a bit. In 1986, when this song was released, Macedonia wasn't a country. It was part of Yugoslavia. So that's why Steve Harris mentions it, as if you haven't heard of it before, and calls it an ancient land. It gained independence in 1991, and now we've got the Republic of North Macedonia. So you probably don't think of it as an ancient land anymore. You probably know it from Eurovision, like Trevor would. The verse then talked about him being born and becoming king at 19. It doesn't mention the fact that he may have been implicated in the assassination of his father or the fact that he killed all other possible heirs to the throne in the meantime. Yeah, it doesn't go into that detail. There was a lot of assassinations of kings uh, in Macedonia before King Philip. Uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting history. It's a bit like the Game of the Thrones, but uh, without the dragons. The lyrics then briefly talk about how he went off to conquer Asia Minor. And then it's got this odd phrase where it says, 
he utterly beat the armies of Persia. There's not much detail there, but the phrase utterly beat is very strange. Maybe I could say that once I utterly beat Trevor 5-0 at Sabutio, but at the time I just said I thrashed him. I'm not sure where it comes from. Maybe Steve Harris thought it flowed with the rhythm of the melody better. Maybe soundly thrashed would have been better. But maybe that wouldn't have been appropriate with the links to enslaving towns and cities. So it jumps forward a bit and uh, it doesn't really give a background of the Greek-Persia rivalry that was there when Alexander was born and before that. There was the famous Battle of Marathon, which I believe was later renamed the Battle of Snickers. What I've done there is I've included a little joke because uh, it's a comedy podcast apparently and uh, people might tune in for jokes and uh, that was the joke because... Snickers, the chocolate bar, used to be called Marathon. Now, it may not have been called Marathon in your country. It may have been Snickers forever. But in the UK, it was a marathon. There are no battles named after Snickers. Anyway, the Battle of Marathon, that had Persia trying to get Athens. And it doesn't really mention about what his father had started in building this sort of reputation. Um, There's this horrific battle of Chiron, where the army, known as the Sacred Band of Thebes, were defeated. Now, I've said Thebes. I'll probably get some complaints. Maybe it's Thebes, but uh, I, I appreciate there may be some pronunciation issues in this episode. The sacred band of Thebes was an army of 150 pairs of male lovers. That seems quite unusual, uh, but Steve Harris didn't mention this. After the first chorus, there's an instrumental passage. Strangely, the rhythm of this instrumental section reminds me a bit of Genghis Khan. After the first chorus, we hear about how he expanded into Asia Minor and had two encounters with King Darius III. The first time, he fled, and the second time, he was found dead in an oasis. The lyrics say he crushed him, but he didn't really crush him because uh, he wanted him alive. It mentions Egypt here, and this shows the size of the Persian Empire, which went from Egypt into what we know now as Syria, Iran and Iraq, up to the edges of Afghanistan. So it's pretty big. One of the famous victories that Alexander the Great had was the Battle of Tyre, and this would have been good to put in the song. Lots of things wrong with Tyre, and Alexander wanted to siege this place, but his quest for Tyre was difficult, as it was an island fortress. It was a Phoenician naval base, and Alexander couldn't attack by sea, so he spent months building this causeway to it, so he could approach by land using artillery. I think this is really interesting, and this causeway is still present today, in modern day Lebanon, After these couple of verses, we then get this instrumental section, which is quite a change. It sounds quite ominous and brooding. And then we get this sort of solo alongside it that sounds erratic and not quite in time. After that, we get even more drama. We've got this awesome, intense passage. (laughs) 
And if you ever catch yourself doubting the quality of this song, then remember this passage. This could go on for a long time, and I'll be very happy. After a while, we get a twin lead version of it, and then it goes into a solo. What I like about this solo is how it stops a bit for a quick drum flurry, while Adrian has a swig of pop before carrying on. This section itself is as epic as Alexander the Great, the person. You don't need to expand anymore. You, you don't need to go into new guitar territory. Just stop as you are. You're still a legend and that'll be fine. We'll be very happy. Oh no, but you're going to anyway. So this is a long section with, with even more bits thrown at us. Let's so carry on going further and further into this amazing guitar. And actually, we've got ooh, from... 3 minutes 54 to 7 minutes 9. That's a rest for Bruce. So that's, what, over 3 minutes where he's probably just sitting there, not travelling through time. The song carries on, talking about him conquering more lands and expanding the empire, and it touches on how he changed culture along the way, spreading Hellenism, which is all things Greek. So their writings and ideas were being introduced to other lands. The lyrics say he paved the way for Christianity, I'm not sure what this means, because Jesus wasn't born yet, so they didn't know he was coming, even though they said the year was 334 BC, and BC stands before Christ. I, I don't think they knew that BC stood for that then. Perhaps it's a dig at colonialism, and how the West tried to spread Western ideals to Eastern lands, similar to Alexander the Great. Or maybe it's a reference to how Greek was one of the first translations of the Bible, and not Aramaic as you might expect. That was the importance of Greek culture as a result of Alexander the Great. It doesn't go into much detail about his spell in Egypt, but I mentioned earlier about founding Alexandria the city and the Great Library. Uh, this was another legacy in spreading Greek culture. All those writings and teachings. Now he did all of this between the age of 20 and 33. And this is quite amazing. Apparently, when Caesar found a statue of Alexander in Spain, when he himself was 33, apparently he wept at how little he'd achieved in comparison. When I was 33, I didn't cry. But that's not because I'm better or more masculine than Caesar. I think I had different ambitions in my 20s. I haven't mentioned this time much on the podcast, but as an example, I doubt Caesar was removed from an office due to a grievance incident involving Jaffa Cakes. I've mentioned how impressed I am with the guitar work and the instrumental sections, and the lyrics are okay, uh, not as detailed as they could be. Um, I think for Bruce, uh, the melody is a bit repetitive and not as good as many other songs. But I think the sound overall is right. And there's some nice long notes at the end of lines for him to sort of get his chops into. And a few tongue twisters for him with the place names. The final part of the song talks about how the army deserted him as he tried to stretch further out to the east. It wasn't just about this. There are other reasons why he was losing followers. He started to take on some of the Persian culture, wearing their dress and marrying Persian women. This maybe led to him losing some of his followers and reputation back home, those traditions. I always felt that the final line about how he died seemed quite sudden and brief. It just says, he died of fever in Babylon. And that's it. This great man, 
all his achievements, and then his death. He's, he's just reduced to a few words. But this is appropriate because it was something as normal as fever that killed him. This great man can be just cut down by something as basic as that. So death comes suddenly, even to the greats. From historical facts to fiction, here's Adrian with the latest from his children's book. Hi, this is Adrian Smith, and it's time for another chapter of my children's book. Uh, you're probably on Alexander the Great now, the episode. So that's nice. It's quite a good song, that. One we haven't played live, of course. And I remember there was a bit of chat about me struggling to recreate the solo bit uh, in a live environment, uh, whereas obviously in the studio you can get away with more. A bit cruel, but uh, I've moved on from that. Don't think about it much. Maybe we will play it live <laughs> and surprise you all. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just play Run to the Hills again. An Iron Maiden. <laughs> yeah, we chuckle at that in the in the dressing room. Anyway, looking forward to next week's album review show. I've uh, got some information about the, the period of Somewhere in Time. So uh, that's something to look forward to. But for now, here's the latest chapter. Chapter 8, Yannick and the Beanstalk. Officer Riggs pushed open the shop door and a small bell rang above it. It was dimly lit and he could just make out the shelves running down the sides and middle of the shop leading to a counter. We meet again, said a voice, and Officer Riggs saw a shadowy figure behind the till. As he got closer, he realised it was the head, the villain who had escaped from his cell the other week. Officer Riggs felt nervous. Were they now going to have the chat that he wrote about in his letter? As his eyes grew accustomed to the light, he realised that the head had taken on another new appearance. Now he was disguised as a futuristic cyborg. I should arrest you right this minute, he said, giggling. Oh, but you won't, came the response. I need to tell you everything right here. Where is the shop owner and his son? asked Officer Riggs. This is my shop replied the head. They were just keeping things ticking over until the true master returned. On hearing this, Officer Riggs felt a little deja vu. So come on, tell me what it is that I need to know, he said. Well, it's a long tale, so why not have some sausages, said the head, getting a plate from under the counter. Officer Riggs looked at the sausages. They looked very tasty. However, he had a rule where he didn't eat sausages after 8pm as he ended up with indigestion. He also remembered that he was very sleepy after the last sausages he had eaten from this shop. No, thank you, he said. Fine, said the head. There is a lot of unusual business going on. It is quite sad. And the worst thing of all is that you created it. Me, said Officer Riggs, without a chuckle. Yes, your sketches and paintings are magical worlds. I have been trapped within them for many years, but I found a way to escape them. As revenge, I have been trapping other people in these worlds and created some of my own. Officer Riggs thought about the events in the village last year. He knew there had been a link with his artwork, but he hadn't told Sergeant Smallwood as it was so ridiculous. And because you have created me, continued the head, do you know what this means? No, said Officer Riggs. You are my father, said the head. Boy. Hey. The boys hadn't seen Yannick for a few days. 
but they were pleased to receive an invitation for tea and cake at his house on Thursday. Hooray and hurrah, said Adrian, who didn't mind being with Yannick if there was cake involved. As they hadn't been to Yannick's house before, Dave wore a bow tie to impress Yannick's parents, and Nico left his drum at home. The dining room at Yannick's house had a table full of goodies, sandwiches, pies and jelly. These are yummy pies, said Nico, helping himself to a plate. No more pies, Nico, said Steve. On hearing this, Nico felt a little déjà vu. Now, said Yannick, let's go into the garden. I've got something to show you. Is it to do with what you bought from the shop? asked Dave. Yes, said Yannick. It is to do with these jelly beans. He produced a large bag of sweets. Great, can I have one? asked Bruce. No, they're not for sharing, said Yannick. The shopkeeper said that whenever I eat one, I should also plant one in the garden. What a waste of jelly beans, said Nico sadly, wishing there was a drum to bang. So is it growing a jelly bean tree? asked Adrian. He liked the idea of using his fishing rod to hook onto some sweets and bring them down to eat, except the green ones. He didn't like the green ones. No, said Yannick. Come and look. They all raced out to the garden to see what looked like a beanstalk growing up into the clouds. Oi. Oi. On his cycle ride home, Officer Riggs thought about what the head had just told him. How the head had created portals in the real world, which allowed people to get to these strange magical worlds he'd created. Once there, they could experience all they had wished for. A pool had allowed Paul Diano to live in his dream gingerbread cottage. A wardrobe had allowed Adrian access to a land of ice and snow. Was Officer Riggs in the real world, or in an imagined one? Were the sausages a portal? He didn't know anything anymore. All he knew was, on hearing he was the head's father, he felt a surge of responsibility. He wanted to do father and son things, and make up for lost time. There was a lot of catching up to do. He'd arranged to meet at the weekend, and do some fun activities. Perhaps watch an action movie, or play football in the park, or make some bunting together. Officer Riggs was torn between the duties of a responsible police officer and a responsible father. When he got home, he had a look at the picture of a futuristic city he had painted years ago. Yes, there it was, and as he had suspected, it was without the figure he had once painted there. Right, I'm going to get, give Trevor a ring now, and see what he's been doing. Hi, Wayne. Hi Trevor, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to this one. Alexander the Great. Good, I assume it's a, a song you like then? Yeah, definitely. I like it. Uh, I'm not sure it's as good as Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner or To Tame a Land. But it's unfair to lump it in with those songs, just because it's long and the last song on an album. I think it's got its own identity. Yeah, OK, that's good. So, so do you know anything about Alexander the Great? Oh well, yeah, it always interested me that Aristotle was his tutor as a teenager. OK. Imagine having Aristotle as a tutor. Yeah. You had a tutor, didn't you, as a teenager? Used to come round to the house and help you with your maths. That's right. I, yeah, I did. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Um, my mum said he should come round. It was just an hour on a Wednesday night. And, yeah, it was quite good. Um, yeah, got quite a lot out of it. It was a bit strange, though, because after every lesson, you had to go and give my mum feedback on my progress. And then I had to leave the room and go upstairs while it happened. I never quite understood why that had to happen every week. Sometimes those feedback sessions would be longer than the actual session with me. 
Oh, right, yeah. I also liked the story that he slept with Homer's Iliad under his pillow. That's a play, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if his mind soaked it in while he was sleeping. Maybe, yeah. Have you ever slept with a book under your pillow? Maybe Dr Faustus? No, why do you keep mentioning that? Well, don't you keep mentioning it? No, I wouldn't sleep with a book under my pillow. Uh, I'd be worried that I might dribble on it in my sleep and ruin it. I dropped a book in the bath once. OK. Yeah, it was horrible. I used a towel to try and rub it dry, but it was no good. And then I had to get the hairdryer out to try and rescue it, but that didn't help. Right. And then I went in the back garden to see if I could hang it on the washing line. There's no room with all my dad's slacks. Uh. And then I went into the front and put it out to dry on the path. But I forgot I was still naked from the bath. OK, well, we, I think we don't need to know about that. So anyway, Aristotle then, so he's, he's quite a well-known figure. What, what, did he have any influence on Alexander? Well, yeah, he would have done. He was a teenager, so he would have learned a lot from him. Aristotle did great work in biology. He would dissect things. And apparently, Alexander would send him back plants and exotic animals from the lands that he was conquering, so he could dissect them and examine them. That's a bit weird. Didn't you send your teacher a dead mouse in an envelope once? No. Right, well, anyway, you like the song, so uh, let's do your three questions. Let's move on. Right, question one. Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great and Napoleon. These are three of the best or most renowned military tacticians ever. So why hasn't Steve Harris written a song about Napoleon? How am I supposed to know that? Maybe he has, maybe there's one coming. Well, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? What rhymes with Napoleon? I don't know. I think if I put him in a poem, I'd, I'd sort of play on the word Neapolitan and talk about ice cream. Oh. So you don't think maybe Steve Harris prefers the other two characters? Well, possibly. Maybe Napoleon was too much of a despot. A what put? A despot. Like a tyrant. OK. Right, next question. Is this the best Steve Harris song on the album? Is this the Deja Vu episode? What do you mean? You keep asking this. Well, next week, I'll do my top three, and then you'll see what my favourite Steve Harris song is. What if you pick the three Adrian songs? Um, yeah, maybe I will. Right, well, earlier on, uh, this this could be your last question. Earlier on, I mentioned similarities between Steve Harris and Alexander the Great as characters. Do you agree? Well, yeah, I suppose that's a good point. Um, Steve Harris has got a similar drive and desire to progress. He doesn't want to stand still, even if the decision seems risky. I mean, there was changes in his court, Alexander, and uh, he knew when the best time was to do it if he wanted to get rid of people. And, and you could say that about Steve Harris, maybe. He didn't want to get rid of some of the band early on, but he saw the need to, to, to go forward. And he's always tried new things, like production and sound. That's Steve Harris, not Alexander the Great. Yeah, yeah I, I imagined. All right, thanks for that. Uh, have you got a poem? Yeah, just a short one. Okay. Right. If this is great, then I am not great. I don't want to kill or enslave. I want to spread hope, not fear. Although that was an impressive spear that Alexander invented. Okay, so you're saying you don't want to be great on those terms? Yeah, that's right. What's this spear? This is another love tip. No. These were 18-foot spears called sarissas. Um, actually, I don't know if Alexander did invent them. But yeah, I mean, 
being great in this context. I mean, Alexander was seen as great, but not all he did was great. And you could say that about most leaders, even Churchill and Skeletor and Steve Harris. We all make mistakes, but because they're high profile, their decisions affect more people, so they get scrutinised more. Okay, well, thanks for that. Some extra insight. And um, next week it's the album review special, so looking forward to that. Yeah, will I be on it a bit more? Well, well, maybe. I mean, normally you do the top three, don't you? So there's normally a little bit more, but uh, I don't know if you'll be the whole show. Maybe I'll ring you and we'll go from there. Okay, thanks, Wayne. Bye. Right, we can follow me on social media. I'm at Wayne Maiden on Twitter. Uh, I've got other channels and uh, ko-fi.com forward slash wimp. Yeah, Trevor's Takeover Thursday. In fact, I didn't talk to him about that. Uh, last week, he did a post about the Hall of Fame and, and the singers. So I don't know what he'll be doing this week. But yeah, take a look there. There's extra content. Um, I've had a message from Perry and she says she doesn't know what my snack of choice is for listening to this album. In the past, uh, we had Pop and Minstrels for Killers. And Vimto and Chew, it's a peace of mind. So why, why haven't we had an update on this? Well, this is a good question. I think in 1986, I was quite excited by Cherry Coke because that had just come out. So, uh, yeah, I was probably drinking that. Uh, as far as sweets go, I don't know. Maybe I was still on Chew I don't think... Uh, my evolution of sweets uh, isn't sort of as chronological as I made them because I discovered a lot of their albums at the same time. But anyway, thank you for your question. I've had a message from Ian Chesterton, and he said he really... Oh, I'm not reading that out. Right, well, Alexander the Great, um, I mean, it'd be a bit silly of me to say it's a great song because that just feels like a cheesy pun. Um, but it is. I think beforehand, I sort of came into it with a feeling that it has this sort of mythical state itself, that it's so good. And I think the fact that it's never been played live has, has almost elevated it above the, you know, the average song in most fans' mind. Maybe it's not as good as it's seen to be because of this. And I think it's like when there's a football player on the substitute's bench who never gets put on the pitch and then every time he doesn't play, he mythically becomes better because the players on the pitch maybe are a bit tired or, or not as good. And everyone's saying, well, why don't you put him on? Give him a try. And, and fans then think he's a better player than he actually probably is. Anyway, that was my view before I heard it again recently. Um, but then hearing it, it was incredible. That middle section, as I mentioned, it was just brilliant. So yeah, why hasn't it been played live? That is a good question. They did play Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner on this tour, so maybe they just thought that was so good, which you can't argue with, can you? And I don't know what this tradition is of having two songs on each album that they don't play live, which was happened since Bruce joined. They had two, two on each, maybe three on some. So I don't know what this rule was. Maybe that was something in a band meeting. But anyway, album review show next week, so hopefully there'll be lots of fun there. And uh, thanks once again for listening. I think last week, well, I wasn't very well, so the Deja Vu episode maybe was a bit shorter. Maybe not quite as detailed, because I didn't have as much time to put it together. So I do apologise about that. Hopefully this episode's been better. And uh, yeah, well, I'll see you for the album review show next week. So thanks for listening. Bye-bye.